Fried, the burnout podcast. Fried fam, it is not often that I have someone on the podcast twice. This will be, in fact, the third time in 220 episodes that I have someone coming back for more. And the reason that Diane Winger is back with us today is because she talks about ADHD and burnout in ways that other people simply do not. And it has been a long time since we had an ADHD episode. And because I am someone with ADHD, and so many of you are noticing, figuring out, getting diagnosed with ADHD later in life, I thought it would probably be a good idea to have this conversation a little more in depth. Last time Diane was here, we talked about rejection-sensitive dysphoria, this idea that you feel rejection really acutely with within ADHD. We talked about it last time, but we didn't go into the ADHD part as much. So we're going to spend a little bit more time diving into that. Diane became a business coach after a 20-year career as a psychotherapist. So she actually literally knows what she's talking about. When she decided to shift the conversation from problems to possibilities, she is the host of the Driven Women Entrepreneur podcast, which you absolutely have to listen to every single one of her episodes. She has this knack for asking questions that if you're an entrepreneur, you need to know everything that they talk about there. It's just over and over again. It's consistently very high quality. She's also a Peloton enthusiast and loves dark fiction, strong coffee, and laughing out loud as frequently as possible. Diane, welcome back to the show. I will hang out with you anytime, anyplace, anywhere. So this may not be the last one. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've talked about your burnout story before, so we don't really need to spend a lot of time on that because we can send people back to that episode. But what we were talking about before we started today was there. there's this real lack of information around the crossover between ADHD and burnout. And it seems like a lot of people are trying to almost like pull the two apart. Like which part of this is ADHD? Which part of this is burnout? And And they're getting a little confused. Can we just dive right in? Absolutely. I love diving in, especially to the deep end. Here's the thing. Um, a lot of people with ADHD burn out. Yeah. And I think people with ADHD, myself, yourself, and many other selves included, are probably more susceptible to burnout than the average person, than the neurotypical person, for a lot of reasons that we're going to get into. Well, well let's just go. Reason number okay. one. Well, reason number one is that people with ADHD are likely to either be obsessed with something or they couldn't care less. So it's like full ass or no ass. There's no half-assing of anything. So because we get curious, we get fascinated, we get obsessed with things, we don't set boundaries in place. We don't pace ourselves. We don't go gently into that good night. We dive off the high board before we even check to see there's water in the pool. And because of that enthusiastic, vibrant way of going about life, you can just imagine what that does to the body, mind, and brain. Your hormones, your cortisol, your adrenaline, your neurotransmitters. It feels very, very stimulating when you're in it, probably very much like a manic episode does to a person who's bipolar, up to the point that they go completely off the hinge. And when you're in it, 
and I'm sure you experience this yourself. There are times, Kate, when I feel like I really should dial this down like now. I really should like close the screen, go to bed, leave this event, stop this conversation, but I don't. And I think it's, that's one of the more maybe painful, challenging aspects is that when you reach the level of self-awareness with your ADHD, and that can take a while and many people with ADHD never get there, you may still find yourself doing the things that lead you to burnout, even though you see yourself doing it in the midst of doing it. It's like you need somebody else or some other part of you to grab you by the back of your shirt and yank you back from the bridge of oblivion. But it's just you. And we don't always do that. In fact, oftentimes we don't. Yeah. This is um, when I get into that place what I find happens to me sometimes is that I close out of everything on my computer and shut it down and walk out of the room. But then I have anxiety that I just closed down 18 windows that I needed because I had 47 open just in case for a, for who knows what rabbit hole I was going down. But then I, I see all the windows open and I see all the things happening and I think, well, I can't do all of this. This is impossible. So I shut everything down and walk away. And then I come back and I'm like, what the hell was I doing? This is a very accurate and very relatable portrayal because if you think about it this way, we don't have guardrails. Mm -hmm. We don't have stop signs. We don't have pause buttons. They didn't come with the operating system. It's aftermarket stuff that we need to learn and acquire and adopt and install and practice. And that's actually more complicated than it sounds. So for example, I know how I operate. I know what is going to fascinate me. I know what I'm going to hyper-focus on. And I know that when I do that, I'm going to forget to eat. I'm going to forget to sleep. I'm going to forget to pee. Years ago, I was the mom who was always late picking her kids up from daycare because if I was hyper-focusing at six o'clock, I freaking forgot I had kids. It can be that profound. So having the wherewithal and having the ability to choose to disconnect from something when you're in the midst of that hyper-focus fascination, that requires more than just willpower. I think if it's a battle of will, you're going to lose. It has to be, it has to be skill. And it has to be self-awareness and self-acceptance. Like, I know I cannot curb my enthusiasm on my own. So I need to implement strategies where I can literally pull myself out of a situation like somebody coming to rescue a hostage. What and I have the, to do it consistently. Yeah. What are, what are the strategies? Some of them are going to sound so simple that listeners will think, yeah, right. But as I like to say, I've probably been ADHD longer than most people listening. <laughs> I've raised three kids, all pa passed on my ADHD. Thanks, mom. And uh, I work with people with ADHD. So I've been around the block a few times and I have some tread on my tires. Not everything that comes out of my mouth is going to work for everybody. 
But I think it's one of those things that it helps to realize, even if you've tried something before, we are constantly changing. In fact, Pratt, a lot more than most people, we are constantly changing. So just because something didn't work for you before doesn't mean it isn't going to work for you now. Absolutely, you have to set limits on the amount of time you let yourself sit in one place. You've probably heard the expression, sitting is the new smoking. Mm -hmm. And it's actually not only bad for our physical health, but it's actually especially bad for the ADHD brain with a tendency to hyper-focus, which will put you on the path to burnout. And it really sucks that that's true because hyper-focus is one of the most satisfying states in our existence. I do not allow myself to sit for more than 90 minutes. Okay. I can't, unless I was like kidnapped and tied to a chair and I didn't have any say in the matter, I have to set reminders and I can't just let myself go for the whole 90 minutes and then set a timer and think I'm going to freaking honor it. I won't. I have to set 30 minutes, 60 minutes. So my brain is kind of like, okay, this is coming. This is coming. This is coming. Otherwise I'm going to ignore or even throw the device across the room. I have mm -hmm. to ease myself out of hyper-focus, which is as counterintuitive as the rhythm method for birth control. Like at the time you least want to stop what you're doing, you have to stop what you're doing. So I don't wait till the last second. I have three reminders. I also hyperhydrate and something mm -hmm. I've been, I've been dehydrated for years. And after studying the effects of dehydration on the brain, I realize, oh, wow, I've been trying to think with brain jerky for like decades. So now I hyperhydrate, not only because it's better for my body and my brain, but it forces me to get up and pee. I can't go 90 minutes if I drink a lot of water. So it's, it's sort of good for the brain, but it also is good for getting me out of hyperfocus because otherwise I would just sit in front of the screen for probably until I become a corpse. What do you think, or do you think, because you said this hyperfocus is such a sort of delicious place to be, what do you think mm -hmm. is the difference between hyperfocus and flow? Because everybody talks about flow as being the profound state, the best state to be in, the place where you'll create your best work. Like they're encouraging flow. And I'm like, well, that's not that hard for me. It's the, it's the getting out that hurts. Yes, it, that's such an astute question. And I'm so thrilled you asked me that. You know, they're all connected, like flow, hyperfocus, and burnout. It's a continuum because people can absolutely burn out doing things they love just as easily as they can burn out from doing things that they resent or that they feel put upon. It's simply a matter of exceeding your bandwidth, your capacity continuously until your body just gives up with the biofeedback. Like, it's like, why am I trying to get your attention? You don't give a shit. And all you do is ignore me. Hyperfocus, the difference between hyperfocus and flow is that you can get into a state of hyperfocus just as easily when you're paying obsessive attention to something completely useless. 
then you can something beneficial. And I think the reason why so many people talk about flow and why they speak of it in such glowing beneficial terms is because flow is generally thought of as something that you want to leverage mm -hmm. to get into that state of creativity, to be able to produce your best work, to be able to have all the signals in your brain going, have everything lit up like a Christmas tree. But hyper-focus is indiscriminate. And it's mm -hmm. one of the reasons why kids with ADHD get into so much trouble with gaming. Yeah. Because it's incredibly rewarding. They yeah. get into a state of hyper-focus and their parents could literally be breaking their room door down and they cannot pull themselves out. So yeah. it's also related to the ability to become addicted, which many people with ADHD are prone to. Uh, first, I'd like to say that when I was a kid, um, it was still, we were moving out of Atari and into Nintendo. So that just mm. tells, like, I'm, I'm 41. So that's where we were. And Nintendo was like crack cocaine for me. Um, and my mother used to literally come in the room. We only had one TV in my house. I grew up in a small apartment. We didn't have TVs in bedrooms, things like that. She would come into the living room and shut the TV off and and force me to go outside and she had to and she was like I didn't have to do this with your sister and I was like oh, sorry you know and so that's that is just sort of one of those like indicating factors one of those moments it's we're saying now that reason number one is hyper focused but something that you said while you were explaining that I'm guessing might be reason number two and what you said was when we are hyper focused there's a lot of sort of self-neglect not with malintent attached to it. We're not trying to beat ourselves up for any reason. We're not, it's not even reliving. We talk a lot about trauma around here. This is not reliving trauma. This is just simply ignoring our body's signals because we're busy doing something else. So is, could we name reason number two as an, and sort of a lessened ability to listen to yourself? Absolutely. Mm. In fact, I used to refer to myself prior to my ADHD diagnosis, prior to studying it obsessively, prior to working with so many people with ADHD, prior to learning the skill of mindfulness and meditation, I really just thought of my body as a transportation system for my brain. My brain was my happy place. My brain was my playground. My brain was what allowed me to find things I was curious about, interested in, fascinated by, obsessed with. And my body was only necessary to move that brain from place to place. And so I really was very much disconnected from my body. And I happened to have a high pain tolerance, probably has something to do with growing up in an abusive household mm -hmm. as a child. Mm -hmm. And so what I learned that I could ignore, just minimize in yeah. order to function well, is actually quite horrifying when I think about it now, because I became masterful at disconnecting from my body, ignoring it, and in many ways, neglecting its needs. So sometimes, you know, I, that's the whole hyper-focus thing. Yeah. That's the planning meals ahead of time because otherwise it's going to be grab and go and I'm going to eat whatever crap I happen to be able to grab the quickest. So knowing 
something that I, I say a lot is it, it starts with self-awareness, but you have to learn about your ADHD tendencies in a mm -hmm. mindful manner, which means open, curious, and the most important part, non-judgmental. Yeah. Because what a lot of people do is that they start to like, I think this might be me. I, I, if you're on TikTok, everybody thinks they have ADHD. There's a lot of creators talking about ADHD on TikTok. So it's like, could this be me? But then as they start to learn, they can even go into a state of hyper-focus learning about their ADHD. And a lot of the information out there is not positive. It tends to fall into two camps. ADHD is either your superpower or it's your- Crippling you. Yeah. crippling you. And frankly, it's, it's neither. There's <laughs> some of column A and some of column B and a lot of stuff that doesn't fall neatly into either column, but learning how much you've actually been disconnected from yourself can really trigger a profound state of grief mm -hmm. and people can get stuck there. You know, it's like, what's the benefit of learning all this stuff about yourself if it only makes you feel like ass? Yeah. What's interesting is I, I started looking up while we were talking because the the part of the brain that is most responsible for interoception, the way that we feel into our bodies, I know I don't need to explain that to you. I'm saying that for the benefit of everyone listening. This is something that we've talked about a lot lately on the podcast, so this should be in everybody's mind. That part of the brain is called the insula. And I just typed in quickly just to see what it happened what what would show and the first things to say there was significantly abnormal activity for people with ADHD while while um, going through inhibition state switching task switching and decision making and then there's another article from the National Institutes of Health that said that in people with ADHD the insular volume is actually reduced so that part of the brain is smaller than it could or should be so I want to ask a question that might be unpopular. I know you have no problem with that because you love uncomfortable questions. Mm -hmm. But can, is ADHD nature or nurture? Maybe I'll say it mm. like that. Yeah, this is kind of a loaded question, but I'm here for it. <laughs> We do know that ADHD has a strong genetic component. Like take my own example. I have three adult children from two different marriages. They all have ADHD. And I have found, and this is anecdotal because I'm not a researcher. I have found that when the ADHD is coming through the maternal line, through the mom, it can be more of a powerful genetic download. This is purely anecdotal. But also there's three different types of ADHD and each of my kids has a different subtype. Huh. How, how fascinating is that? Is it nature or is it nurture? Well, Gabor Mate believes that ADHD is a developmental issue that's a trauma response. Mm -hmm. I think you have to have the genetic loading mm -hmm. to be able to develop the traits or symptoms. But I'm going to answer the question a little bit differently than you might expect. There are people who have all, I prefer the word traits mm -hmm. rather than symptoms. Mm -hmm. And I prefer to say identified rather than diagnosed, because the truth is the majority of people who have or are 
ADHD will never get diagnosed. Yeah. For many reasons. Yeah. But they have these traits and it's very possible that you may have many, most, or even all of the traits. Now, if you're looking in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Psychiatric Conditions, what you also have to have is not just the traits, but you also have to have impairment as a result of the traits. Mm. So this is where it gets really interesting because if you happen to have one or more parents who have ADHD and they were fortunate enough to figure out what they needed to do to manage their hyperactivity, their distractibility, their inattentiveness, their risk-taking behavior, their all, all of the, the traits. If they were lucky enough to figure out how to manage those things and have workarounds in childhood, not only are they probably never going to get diagnosed with ADHD, they won't even meet criteria because you need the traits and impairment. So yeah. there may be genetic loading for ADHD from one or both parents, but if your environment allowed you to thrive because it provided the systems, the structure, the safety, the supervision, and the support that you needed growing up, where's the impairment? And as a matter of fact, many of these people become entrepreneurs yeah. because the risk-taking Mm -hmm. The quick thinking, mm -hmm. the pattern recognition of, oh, this would work here, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. why not try, is very effective in entrepreneurship. But you have to have learned the workarounds and the ways to manage the brain that you have early on. Anecdotally, also, some of the people that I've met that are the most successful entrepreneurs with ADHD have something in common that I didn't initially expect, and that is their parents enrolled them in competitive sports, mm. particularly swimming or gymnastics, keeping the body busy, keeping the body active, doing something that is interesting and challenging and exciting to the kid with lots and lots and lots of structure mm -hmm. helped them optimize that ADHD brain that could have just as easily taken them in a very different direction. I have an entrepreneurial ADHD addict father who put me in gymnastics. Fried fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? Cyfox Health allows you to do just that. You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to scifoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried.
See? Now, isn't that interesting? And and maybe we should just say, I know that's not the topic of this interview, but I'm laying the groundwork for the fourth go around. Okay. <laughs> See what I did there? Uh, the reason why so many people with ADHD become addicts is very obvious, right? Yeah. It's it we have a stimulation-seeking brain. What's less known is how many women with ADHD develop eating disorders for the very same reasons. But what puts us on the path to burnout is fundamentally this. We don't recognize our limits. Yeah. We get into that state of hyperfocus where we are ignoring our body and we may decide to do something that we know is not good for us because in the moment, our battle with immediate versus delayed gratification is extremely challenging. So I prefer to structure my life in a way that I don't put myself to that test because I've lost that game enough times to know it, the outcome's not gonna change no matter how many times I play. Yeah. There's a phenomenon that I've noticed working with people with burnout that it seems to either create ADHD-like traits and functions and behaviors and or worsen ADHD symptoms. Now, some people after they burn out say, oh, it's just because I have ADHD, but I don't know if they actually have ADHD or if the burnout just led to similar symptoms. That's a really, really good question. Yeah. Let's absolutely unpack that because yeah. one of the other things we haven't talked about yet yeah. is why people with ADHD are more susceptible to burnout. We've talked a lot about hyperfocus and ignoring the body's signals. Yeah. But what's also true is one of the key characteristics of individuals with ADHD is challenges with emotional regulation. Mm. Rejection sensitivity is part of that. The rejection sensitive dysphoria is part of that. But people with ADHD have a lot of highs and lows. When you don't know that you're dealing with ADHD, someone might say, you're a drama queen, you're a borderline, you're manic, you're bipolar, because what they're failing to recognize is people with ADHD tend to have a lot of emotional reactivity. We laugh louder, we play harder, like we are more colorful characters. That's how we're built. And you can easily see if you don't have the self-awareness you don't have the self-acceptance, you haven't built those things into place in your life to help you manage that emotional dysregulation, you're going to burn your adrenals out because you're simply getting way too many squirts of cortisol on the regular. Well, and I would think that that would also lead to another sort of behavior that happens frequently in ADHD, which is masking, where you try really hard to not be that person that you are because you've been told a few times that it's not appreciated or appropriate or appropriate. Mm -hmm. Very, very true. Masking is exhausting. Yeah. Because unlike acting where you're playing a role intentionally and hopefully getting paid masking is a behavior that becomes very habitual and it is based on the belief that I am not okay. There is something wrong with me. And if I behave like my true self, 
I'm going to lose. I'm going to get kicked out. I'm going to get rejected. I'm going to get fired. I'm going to have no friends. The amount of drain that happens with masking. I used to be very proud of the fact early on. It's what I called passing for normal. <laughs> and I remember, and I was proud of that because I thought playing y'all, but I, until I really unpacked it and realized, no, honey, th this is not a skill. This is founded on self-hatred. That's not something to be proud of. The other reason why we tend to burn out is because, and this is related to what we're talking about now, with this belief that there's something wrong with me. Now, I know that most people believe there's something wrong with them. Like Dr. Gay Hendricks in The Big Leap, yeah. who talks about upper limiting, says he calls this the fundamental flaw. Mm -hmm. And most people think there's something wrong with them. But when you have ADHD... And before your brain is fully formed, those first few years, I refer to the brain at that stage of development as an empty field of fertile soil. So everybody is throwing seeds at it. They're saying things to you. They're saying things about you. We are literally learning and being conditioned to think of who we are and how we are, mostly by people who are not too happy with those realities. So we internalize that belief that we're not okay, makes all the sense in the world that we're going to grow up and mask and maybe even consider it a badge of honor that we do it well enough that by the time we get identified as ADHD, people would be like, really? I never would have guessed. Yeah. So that's not necessarily something to feel good about, even though it may be functional and even though it may be skillful and may have even kept us safe, but we're literally wearing out our hormones, our neurotransmitters, and our body's internal biofeedback mechanisms. So is it possible that someone with unidentified, untreated, unmanaged ADHD can go through life and burn out, but it's not actually burnout? I think there's room for study there. Because the overlap is so nuanced and so subtle. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I've got a question for you. Let's say there is a distinction. Let's say there's genuine burnout and there's this long-term unmanaged ADHD that looks and feels very much like burnout. Would you treat those two groups any differently? No. I don't, I know that because I don't treat those two groups differently because I do see that sometimes. Um, right now we have five reasons and I'm just going to do a quick overview of them so that we're all on the same page. See if anything, but I do love the odd numbers. I really do. So I hope it's not six. No, it's five. It's five. Um, the first one is hyper-focus. The second is self-abandonment as a almost as a side effect of hyperfocus and possibly as a uh, developmental brain shift that doesn't allow us to be as aware as other people about what's going on in our bodies. Next is this sort of lack of emotional regulation, this the the highs and the lows, this these really big jumps in between both that send our stress hormones all over the place. The fourth one is masking. 
And the fifth one is a sort of deep belief that something's wrong with you. And it's not just sort of this only this natural idea that something's wrong with you, but also being probably told quite frequently from your environment that how you behave is or how you are, how you exist is sort of unacceptable. So it's not just a belief that you're afraid of. It's not this basic sort of primal fear only. It's that primal fear layered on with this idea that you've been told more than once that you're not acceptable in some way, shape or form. So because I can't have six, because I'm obsessed with odd numbers and because seven is actually my favorite. We're going to add two. We are going to add two. One of them <laughs> is that people, I have to, I just do. You know who you're dealing with here. I'm, I'm not a beginner. Okay. People with ADHD are prone to be people pleasers. Oh, right. This comes from many places, uh, not the least of which is what we've just been talking about, this fundamental flaw. Yeah. This this belief that we're not okay, that we're not enough, yeah. that we're broken, and that people don't actually like us. They might find us amusing. They may tolerate us for some reason because we're family or because we have particular talents that they need in yeah. the workplace, whatever it is. But if we believe that we're not really likable, we are going to double down on doing things that make us more likable. We're going to be more likely to people, please. We're Hashtag going to feeling more... attacked. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> hey, if you didn't want me to tell the truth, you shouldn't have invited <laughs> me on the show. Okay. But no, it's, we just, tend to... it's such a, it's such a real it's such a real thing and it doesn't necessarily change with um, feedback. This is probably one of the most confusing and you yeah. might even say perverse things about yeah. ADHD. I will say for an absolute fact, it's one of the things about ADHD that is most misunderstood by neurotypicals, most frustrating and annoying to people who are in a relationship with someone with ADHD is that we don't seem to learn from experience, which leads most people to believe that we don't actually care, right. that we don't respect them, that we are immature, that we are self-indulgent, that we're childish, that even if they tell us, I wish you wouldn't leave all the kitchen cabinets open, I wish you wouldn't interrupt me when I'm talking. I wish you would do what I ask you to do, especially when it's a small thing and you've done it before. And when we don't seem to have that stickiness in our brain that allows us to learn, especially from painful experiences, most people draw the conclusion, we just don't give a shit. So, People pleasing is yeah. a natural result from that because we're literally trying to hedge our bets for future offenses. We know we're going to screw up. We're going to disappoint. <laughs> we're going to offend. We're going to be annoying AF. So people pleasing puts some deposits in the joint account that maybe will get us a pass. And are you ready for number seven? I'm ready. Boundaries. Oh, yeah. People, we should have said that first because it's really, honestly, almost the most important reason. Yeah. yeah. We tend to lack boundaries. And I'm going to tell you there's several reasons. Number one, 
our ability to recognize how much time, energy, and effort something actually takes is usually way off, like unrealistic expectations. Something that may only take a few minutes, we think it's going to take a few hours. So we procrastinate, resist, and avoid. But we also think if it's something we're interested in or something we actually want to do or we're curious about, we will grossly underestimate how much time it will take. We have a very interesting relationship with time. Most people in the ADHD community call it time blindness. I prefer to call it time optimism because I always think I have more time than I actually do. And when you combine that with the people pleasing, you get over committing, over complicating, like overwhelming because you don't set those boundaries. You're afraid to say no. You're afraid to disappoint people. And so we make our lives much more difficult because we don't recognize that we don't always have to say yes. And people are not just waiting to dump us when we do, coupled with the fact that we think we can do anything in record time and usually have plenty of evidence that we have. So we continue to do it. This is absolutely the bandwidth, boundaries, burnout continuum. And it's yeah. inevitable. Yeah. So one of the things that you said that people can do is sort of time block themselves ahead of time so that they they can pull out of hyperfocus and that instead of setting an alarm for 90 minutes, set an alarm for every 30 so that you're kind of being pulled out of it a little bit as you go and that you know it's coming, that it's not going to be a massive shock to you. What other, what, what are maybe two other techniques that you share with people that, of course, we know, disclaimer, not everything is going to work for everybody. We get it. But what are maybe two other techniques that you've seen be successful in many people for shifting away from ADHD behaviors that are impairing people's ability to really enjoy their lives? Well, the first one I'm going to say is very unpopular. <laughs> and people are probably going to be throwing their phone across the room as soon as I say it. But let's just get that over with. But go pick up the phone because you're going to want to hear number two. Uh regulating your sleep. Yeah. Son of a gun. I mean, I have literally tried everything and everybody in my family has tried everything. But if you have a consistent bedtime, a consistent wake up time, and you're getting the right amount of sleep, not only will your ADHD traits, aka symptoms, be far easier to manage, but that one thing regulating your sleep, it's called sleep hygiene, will do more for preventing or reducing the likelihood of burnout than anything else I could tell you, including stimulant medication. And I want to bring up Fried Fam that we talked about this recently on an episode with Kristen Holmes, who is the head, uh, the lead researcher of WHOOP, the heart rate variability sort of wearable tech company that helps people manage and, and measure stress response and recoverability. And she said the same exact thing. So this works for everybody. If you don't have ADHD, you should still do this. But consistent wake and sleep time seem to be a 
consistent message from so many places. The research is really hot right now. It's something that's been studied a lot in the past 15, 20 years, and the results keep being exactly the same. So this is just, I'm, I am disappointing you more. If you threw your phone across the room, then you throw it again if you need to. But this is literally one of the things that helps every part of your body, every system of your body functions better when you sleep properly. Yep. And sleep is a real problem for the vast majority yeah, of, of people with ADHD, with ADHD for all the reasons, but yeah. as well as for many, many other people, but man, does it make a difference? So yeah. like, don't hate me. There are other people way smarter than I am who also agree with this. So the other one that's probably a little bit less offensive, but extremely practical is I have a rule for myself and I teach this to all of my one-on-one -on -one coaching clients. It's based on a principle called the default yes. Because we tend to be people pleasers, because we tend to be impulsive, because we tend to think we can do anything, because we grossly under or overestimate how much time, energy, effort, focus, and attention things are going to take, we have a very strong tendency to say yes to every single request. I got news for you folks. Not every option is an opportunity, even though it presents itself that way, because your brain loves novelty. So if someone says, hey, would you like to come on this weekend? Or, hey, do you want to go on this girl's night out? Hey, can you speak at my event? Can you contribute a chapter to my book? Can I pick your brain? That's one of my favorites. I say, oh, I'm awfully sorry, but I really need the whole thing. Trust me. Um, so not allowing yourself to impulsively and compulsively say yes. Like you got a default yes. I don't have to know you to know you do. Even if you don't have ADHD, you probably do. Because frankly, yes is easy. Yes is fast. Everybody loves yes. And you don't have to come up with why it's a no. So you don't actually have to think. It's the default yes that everybody tends to say. And then after you've said it, then you got to remember that you said it. Then you got to go, what the fuck? Why did I say yes? to? I don't want to do that. Like I have a long history of impulsively saying yes to something and then later bailing. That's so much worse than not saying yes to begin with. So you're not going to start going from being, you know, everybody's go girl that, like, yeah, sure. I can do it. Okay. For count me in to, you know, fuck off. I'm not doing anything for anybody. <laughs> All you have to do is insert the pause button. And I actually teach my clients some memorized phrases so they don't have to think on the moment. Cause lots of people with ADHD say when someone asks them a question, especially when they didn't expect, they kind of like freeze up and their mind goes blank. So they just say the first thing that comes to their mind. And in a case like this, it's going to be sure. Yeah. Okay. Of course. And that may not be what you want and over committing yourself to things, especially things you don't actually want to do or don't have the bandwidth for that is absolutely a fast track to burnoutsville. So what you're going to do instead is say, that sounds like an interesting opportunity, or I'd love to say yes, but I need to check with my current commitments 
before I can give you an answer. You're basically stalling. You're not saying no. You're not even saying maybe. You're saying, I can't tell you right now. And because I also have memory problems that are largely related to ADHD, and if somebody like I call it being ambushed. When somebody like literally says, oh, hey, Diane Wingert, just the person I was looking for. Hey, can you do X, Y, Z? And I used to say yes, and then walk away and completely forgot the conversation ever happened. Now this person thinks I'm committed and obligated. And I'm like, I don't even remember who, who it was or when or what. So that's a great way to ruin your reputation. So now I'll say, hey, that sounds interesting or you know, I might be interested in doing something like that or whatever you want to say. Don't overplay it. But then if uh, I'll follow up with you later and tell them when, an hour, 24 hours, six weeks, whatever. And if you don't hear back from me and then the way you want to call me, text me, DM me, like whatever it is. Whatever I always request is. that people uh, reach out to me with the information if I'm talking to someone in person because I will not remember to contact them at the time that I said I would. I, that will ne like that is it's not happening. going to happen in my world. So if somebody asks me something in person, I say like, what, send me the information, please. Here's my email address. Or if I get a, a request in my inbox, I put it on unread because if I don't, I'm never going to answer it. And I'm you know, the day before yesterday, I got asked to be on a summit. I'm not often on people's summits. It's not the best use of of my of my time. Like you said, not every option is an opportunity. That's a great mm -hmm. sentence. And I wrote back, no, this is not something that fits in with my business needs at the time, like right now. And mm -hmm. I I thought that that's what I wrote, but I wrote, this is something that fits with my business needs right now. Ooh. And she was like, great. Here's all the info. I was like, oh, I'm no. what I meant to say was no thanks. And she was like, oh, no problem. And it was not really a big deal, but it was like such a Katie moment, like such a, I'm like, oh God, here we go again. <laughs> oh God. But guess what? You have self-awareness. Yeah. You have self-acceptance and you have a sense of Some humor yeah, about for sure. being who and how you are. Yes. And that can smooth out a lot of the otherwise ruffled feathers that we are going to continue to ruffle. <laughs> well, this was a little bit of a, a felt like an expose of my life. <laughs> Even though we you didn't can, talk. You can, you can edit all those out. It feels like I also need to pay you. <laughs> but for everybody out there that, you know, we, we come upon this conversation a lot in the Facebook group about ADHD and burnout. And so we need to talk about it more and more and more. We need to keep having these conversations. And what I want to impress upon you right now is that impress upon you, fried fam, not on Diane. She knows these things already. You probably know most of them too. Yeah, but, but I probably forgot them. <laughs> so true, right? <laughs> Check me. Pride fam. The solutions to your most complicated problems are simple and not easy. And it is really, really annoying to me as someone who struggles with these same problems, it's really annoying to me personally that the solutions are the simple ones. They're very straightforward. 
Yes. They're not, it's not magic. It's not taking 87 medications and 14 supplements and meditating to a deity on the corner of a mountain underneath a cave with a bottle of sage, I, whatever. Like there, it's not a whole thing. And that sometimes can prevent us from getting started because we have this tendency to uh, hold the solutions in, uh, in a, suspension of disbelief mm -hmm. that it's so simple that it can't possibly really change anything and i want you to take a moment to think about these three super implementable sleep hygiene don't default on yes come up with a statement that's that gives you a pause and set timers on your hyper focus put some timers in place i want you to choose one of them if you are ADHD or not ADHD or assume you're ADHD I don't really care which one but choose one of these things and start today because you are not going to know what the reward is for doing it until you do it and if you're ADHD you're not going to continue to do it unless you know what the reward is for doing it you have to you have to force the beginning in order to understand what the real result is so recently as an example I gave up gluten for the 97th time. I hate giving up gluten. I love bread. And I, but I was, I've been not feeling good. My stomach's been bad. I've been gaining weight. I do have a binge problem with my ADHD. I tend to eat a lot of sugar and like go through whole packages of things and not even notice that I did it. That's something mm -hmm. that I'm working through now. And so I didn't eat gluten for a couple of weeks. I had it one day, ended up with such a stomach ache that I couldn't function for the whole rest of the day. Then I went through another two weeks of not having any. Then I had some and had a migraine within six hours. Having those two things happen back to back is one of the only reasons I'm going to be able to continue doing this right now. So allow yourself to try it, allow it to be interrupted, allow yourself to stumble and pay attention to the results. Because that is what will end up keeping you on track. Because they sound simple, and they are. But that doesn't mean they're easy. And consistency with them is more important than trying it once in a while. So I just take one thing and implement it. There was only three options. I'm not asking you to go through too much. Just pick one out of the three. Okay? And And lastly... There is no magic pill no. for ADHD. And I don't just mean like actual ADHD pills medication. <laughs> I mean, the ADHD medication can be a big help, Yeah, but it's only Huge. a piece of the puzzle. And so don't waste your life looking for that magic, easy solution that's going to make everything better. It does not exist the simple things done consistently will change your life. Diane, where should people find you? Well, if you can get your mind around the fact that Diane is spelled weird, D-I-A-N-N, you can find me at dianewingertcoaching.com. There's my podcast, my blog. There's a cool quiz there. And if you are inclined to uh, work with me, you can make that happen all through the website, Diane Winger Coaching. And that will be, as per usual, my fried fam, in the show notes for your ease and joy. Diane, thank you so much for being with us today. Fried fam, be kind to yourselves, please. It's the only thing that matters at the end of the day. Until next time.